the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. Praise to the God who reigns above. God had been faithful to keep all his promises to the children of Israel. All the land was finally conquered and distributed. Israel was now donating cities to be used as cities of refuge for people to have a fair chance before a court in the case of an accidental manslaughter. We join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 20, verse 7. So where are these cities of refuge? Verse 7, and they appointed, set apart, consecrated. In other words, these would not just be asylum cities. These would be special consecrated cities that were removed from that tribe's allotment for holy purposes. We'll see that purpose in chapter 21. But here we see the first one they appointed, they set apart, consecrated Kadesh. Now, Kadesh is in about two miles south of Tiberias. Tiberias is kind of the middle of this western quadrant of the Sea of Galilee. So it's about two miles south of Tiberias, toward the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. This was the home of Barak, where Deborah and Barak gathered Israel's forces for battle in the book of Judges. It was the northernmost asylum city on this side, Jordan. It says in Galilee and Mount Naphtali. And then the second one was, verse 7, Shechem in Mount Ephraim. Shechem was located on the slope of Mount Ebal. It was the centralmost asylum city on this side, Jordan, right around here. It was an important trade route city before Israel conquered it, and it eventually became the first capital of the northern kingdom when Israel split. It's one of the most important cities in Israel, and now it's going to be dedicated to the Lord's work. The third one, it says, is Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron in the mountains of Judah, the southern city that was allotted to Caleb. So you might be thinking, wait a second, Caleb specifically asked for that city. Why is he going to have to give it up now? Won't get more on that in chapter 21. On the eastern side, verse 8, on the other side, Jordan, by Jericho eastward. So on this side, it says that they assigned Bezer in the wilderness upon the plain out of the tribe of Reuben. Bezer is, is down here. It's the southernmost city of refuge on that side. Next, Next, it says, is Ramoth in Gilead out of the tribe of Gad. And I believe Ramoth Gilead is somewhere there. It is right there. Ramoth Gilead on the eastern side in Gad's land. So it's the centralmost one. Can you see how they're all kind of equidistant so that wherever you live, you've got a decent shot to get there before somebody kills you? What's interesting about Ramoth Gilead is Solomon later made it the district capital of that region. It was frequently fought over by Israel and the Syrians. So as we go through the Old Testament, if the Lord tarries, we're going to be at Ramoth Gilead a lot. The last one was Golan, far to the east of the Sea of Galilee. I think it's all right up there. It was the northernmost asylum city on this side, Jordan. So verse 9, these were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger, the foreigner that's living among them, that whosoever kills any person at unawares might flee there and not die by the hands of the avenger of blood and still until he has stood before the congregation. If he gets his trial and it's proven it was premeditated, well, guess what? You get turned over to the dude and he can do what he wants with you. He'll be the first one to lay his hand on you for capital punishment because that's just how it worked over there. 
chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites unto Eliezer the priest, and unto Joshua the son of Nun, and unto the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spake unto them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give us cities to dwell in with the suburbs thereof for our cattle. When it says here, then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites. The word there means the leaders of the ancestors of the Levites. Now the Levites, they were divided into three parts, three families. That's what this word ancestors means. Levi had three sons of importance that are mentioned in scripture that then became kind of clans in the tribe of Levi. You had Gershon, you had Merari, and you had Kohath. Okay, And each of these divisions of the Levites, they had different responsibilities as the assistants to the priests. Now, the priests were Aaron's descendants, so just one family within one of these big families. Aaron is from the family of Kohath in the tribe of Levi. He and his family would be the ones who would serve in the tabernacle, and these other three families would assist them in that service. So at this point then, that means there's four groups of families that don't have homes to live in, which is what inspires this meeting. They come to him and they said, the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give us cities to live in, number one, and then suburbs thereof for our cattle. So they did it in Shiloh, which is where they're serving. That's where we saw last week. That's where Joshua set up the tabernacle. So this is where they're serving. And even though not all of them are serving there, they're all living there in tents. So these are the only people left who don't have a home yet. So they come to Joshua, to all the leaders, and they say, listen, you need to do what Moses was commanded by God to do. You need to give us cities and then suburbs. Now the word suburbs, it just means open space, or pasture land in addition to those cities. Now, there are two reasons for this. The Levites, they had families to care for, and they would do that from the offerings brought from the rest of the nation. And the offerings would be food sometimes, crops, but there would also be times where they have to bring offerings of their herds. Those herds would be distributed amongst the Levites and the priests. And of course, you know, your whole family's not there at the tabernacle while you're serving. They would have to be taken care of at home. And how would they do that? Well, through the herds, through the offerings and things like that. They didn't necessarily have crops or anything like that. This is not cropland. They did need pasture land for their animals to eat and to walk around and everything like that. Secondly, the Levites, who weren't serving at the tabernacle, weren't helping out there, it was their responsibility to teach God's word to the people. This required that they have land, homes, and then be spread out among the nation so that their families could be taken care of, their herds could pasture land, and that everyone would be taught that no one would be neglected in the teaching of God's word. This is why God commanded this to Moses and why they're coming now to Joshua as the last group of people that need their land. And so verse three, the children of Israel gave unto the Levites. And this is really cool because here we see that the children of Israel had to sacrifice cities that had been given to them already. And they were okay with that. They sacrificed these cities unto the Levites out of their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their suburbs. So verse four, we see the first lot came out for the families of the Kohathites. So when these cities were dedicated, we find out later on that 48 cities were dedicated. When all these cities were dedicated, they drew lots, and the first lot was for Kohath. And the children of Aaron, the priest, which were of the Levites, had by lot out of the tribe Kohath, which includes the priests. They had their cities from out of the tribe of Judah, out of the tribe of Simeon, and out of the tribe of Benjamin, 13 cities. That was primarily for the priests. We'll see that later. The rest of Kohath, verse 5, they had by lot out of the families of the tribe of Ephraim, out of the tribe of Dan, out of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 10 cities. 13 cities went to all the priests from this region. So from this region, the rest of Kohath got 10 cities. Verse 6, the children of Gershon had by lot out of the families of the tribe of Issachar, 
Then out of the tribe of Asher over here on the coast and out of the tribe of Naphtali, this one right here. And it says out of the half tribe of Manasseh in Bashan over here. And they received, it says, 13 cities. So Gershon, that family received kind of the northern region. And the children of Merari, the third family by their families, had out of the tribe of Reuben, out of the tribe of Gad right here. And then kind of strangely, they get this little pocket out of Zebulun. And they got 12 cities total from all of that. And they received it by lot. In other words, They're all at Shiloh right now, which is kind of up here. And where they're going to move from there, they have to trust that God would pick the best place for them, just like for everybody else. Because you might end up getting moved to the city of refuge way down here, but that's where you went with your family if that's what God chose. And again, we looked earlier, it's always better when you let God choose your lot instead of trying to choose and make your own life. Verse eight, and the children of Israel gave by lot unto the Levites these cities with their suburbs as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So verse nine, out of the tribe of the children of Judah and of the tribe of the children of Simeon, these cities which are here mentioned by name. So out of these two spots here, these are the cities that the priests received. Which verse 10, the children of Aaron being of the family of the Kohathites who were of the children of Levi had for theirs was the first lot. And they gave them the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron in the hill country of Judah with the suburbs thereof round about. But the fields of that city and its villages thereof, they gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for his possession. It first off mentions Hebron. Hebron was one of those cities of refuge. It now became a city of refuge where the priests would live. So not just Levites, but this is where the priests who served inside the tabernacle, who did the offerings, this is where they would live. It's funny that this is the first city given to the priests because this was also the first city given to any Israelite. It was given to Caleb because God said Caleb promised it to him. Now this is interesting that Caleb's cool with giving up the city after he pitches such a fit about making sure he gets it. And it kind of makes me wonder if he just wanted to take out the giants who were there. He'd been waiting 40 years. I don't care about the city. I just want the giants in them. Kind of makes me wonder a little bit. He does seem like a feisty guy. But the truth is, Hebron was a large city with a lot of history, one of the oldest cities in, in history. Like Orlando, you know, people say, where do you live? And a lot of times I'll say, oh, I live in Stanford. Where's that? So most of them I just say, oh, I live a little bit north of Orlando. Orlando is a sprawling city with lots of suburbs all around it. The ancient city of Hebron was very similar. The main city, the main fortress was on a hill. But there were villages and suburbs all around the area that were called Hebron. And so the priests got the main city up there on the hill and the open space just outside of the walls for their pasture land. Caleb, he got all the other villages and he got all the cultivated land, the fields, all the harvest land. He got what he really needed. He didn't need the city of Hebron, didn't need the open fields. He got the cultivated land for his crops and the villages round about there for him and his family to live in. It mentions, verse 13, thus they gave to the children of Aaron the priest Hebron with her suburbs to be a city of refuge for the slayer. And so again, we learned this in the last chapter that it was a city of refuge, but now we see how it fits in with Caleb's inheritance. It goes on to mention they also received Libna with her suburbs, and I'm not going to point out where these cities are because they're just all throughout this area. They received Libna with her suburbs, and Jatir with her suburbs, and Eshtemoa with her suburbs, and Holon with her suburbs, and Debir with her suburbs, and Ain with her suburbs, and Jutah with her suburbs, and Beth Shemesh with her suburbs, nine cities out of these two tribes. They also received some cities from the little yellow strip right here from Benjamin. It says, and out of the tribe of Benjamin, they received Gibeon with her suburbs, Geba with her suburbs, Anathoth with her suburbs, and Almon with her suburbs, 
four total cities. And then the total amount of the cities of the children of Aaron, the priests, were 13 cities with their suburbs. Now, one of those is kind of interesting because the city of Anathoth is located about three miles northeast of Jerusalem. And it's most famous because it was the home of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah was a descendant of Aaron and his proximity to Jerusalem and his service there allowed him to see Israel's corrupt priesthood firsthand. He knew exactly, when he's talking about God's judgment for Israel's sin and how the priests were corrupt, he's not just someone who's reporting on it because he doesn't like how the priests are doing things. He was a priest. He saw it daily. He served there on a regular basis. He knew exactly what kind of corruption was going on there. And that makes him a reliable eyewitness when he's testifying to them of the evil that's going on amongst the priesthood. Now, one thing you might be wondering is, why in the world does Aaron's family get 13 cities when he's only got four kids? Two of them died when God called fire from heaven on the altar. Why does he need 13 cities? Aaron's family is not large at this point at all. But by the time David comes around, they will be larger than all the other Levites combined. They just are going to explode. At that point in time, as a priest, you got to serve sometimes maybe once a year. And by Jesus's day, maybe once in your lifetime, you got to go into the holy place and do the function of a priest there. God knew that they would be growing over time and they would need these cities in just a few generations. Now, verses 20 through 26, you're going to have to forgive me. I am going to go rapidly through the rest of this. Verses 20 through 26, these are the cities that were given to the rest of Kohath and the families of the children of Kohath, the Levites, which remained to the children of Kohath, so not the priests, but everybody else. Even they had their cities of their lot from out of the tribe of Ephraim. And it's going to list the cities from there. For they gave unto them Shechem with her suburbs and Mount Ephraim to be a city of refuge for the slayer and Gezer with her suburbs and Kibzaim with her suburbs and Beth Horon with her suburbs, four cities. Out of the tribe of Dan, it says that they received Eltica with her suburbs, Gibbethon with her suburbs, Aijalon with her suburbs, Gathrimon with her suburbs, four cities. And out of the half tribe of Manasseh, this region here, they received Tanakh with her suburbs, Gathrimon with her suburbs, two cities. So all the cities were 10 with their suburbs, for the families of the children of Kohath that remained. Now you might be asking yourself, why in the world does he keep repeating suburbs? We get it. We understand it. But you have to recognize and realize this was important to individuals, not just big picture. Joshua's not just writing a book so that we can all go, oh, okay, they got that part of the land. There were individual people. Basically, what Joshua's saying is God was faithful and we were obedient to give every single one of these families not just a home to live in, but places for their herds to, to pasture. Every single one of them. And what a cool promise for us to know that God knows our needs and he's going to keep his promises, not just to our brothers and sisters in the Lord, but to every one of us. Every person is important to him. You are important to him. You have a plan that he's given to you. You have a purpose in the body of Christ. You have a calling here. We need you just as they were needed there. Now, verses 27 through 33, we see that the family of Gershon, they received their cities from, from Issachar down here, from Asher, and from Naphtali. And it's just going to list what those cities are here. And unto the children of Gershon and the families of the Levites, out of their other half-tribe of Manasseh, they gave unto them Golan, so they got one of those cities of refuge. Be'esh Terah with her suburbs, two cities, so two cities from that region. Out of the tribe of Issachar, Kishon with her suburbs, Deber with her suburbs, Jarmuth with her suburbs, and Ganim with her suburbs, four cities from Issachar. Out of the tribe of Asher, Mishal with her suburbs, Abdon with her suburbs, Helkath with her suburbs, and Rehob with her suburbs, so four cities in that area. And out of the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee with her suburbs to be a city of refuge for the slayer. Hamoth Dor with her suburbs, and Kartan with her suburbs, three cities. All the cities of the Gershonites, according to their families, were 13 cities with their suburbs. And so the last family of Merari, they received their cities from Zebulun, Gad here, and Reuben here. And under the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites, 
Out of the tribe of Zebulun, they received Jokneam with her suburbs, Kartah with her suburbs, Dimna with her suburbs, Nahalal with her suburbs, four cities total from Zebulun in here. A beautiful region in there. It's my favorite part of Israel. It's gorgeous. Out of the tribe of Reuben, they received Bezer with her suburbs. And it's interesting, it's not mentioned as an asylum city here, but it was one. I wonder if Joshua even got tired of repeating things. Jahaza with her suburbs, Kedemoth with her suburbs, and Mephath with her suburbs. So four cities from there. And out of the tribe of Gad, Ramoth and Gilead with her suburbs to be a city of refuge for the slayer. Mahanaim with her suburbs. Mahanaim is up here where Jacob wrestled with God. Kind of an interesting place. Heshbon with her suburbs, Jazer with her suburbs, four cities in all. So all the cities for the children of Merari by their families, which were remaining of the families of the Levites, were by their lot, 12 cities. So all the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 40 and eight cities with their suburbs. These cities were everyone with their suburbs. Everybody got land. Everybody got homes to dwell in, round about them. Thus were all these cities. Everyone has a home. God kept his promise, which brings us to the end of the distribution of the land here. And Joshua makes one of the most powerful statements in all of scripture here. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land, not some, all the land which he sweared to give unto their fathers. And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest. The word there means a place to settle down. The Lord gave them rest round about. It means all around them, according to all that he swore unto their fathers. And there did not stand a man of their enemies before them. There was no organized defense anymore. No armies were standing up to them. There were no one coming out to fight them anymore. Any resistance was holed up in their cities or in their caves or wherever they were hiding and hoping that Israel would just leave them alone. There stood not a man for all their enemies before them, for the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. And like I said, while there were groups of Canaanites who had battened down the hatches and hunkered down and set their defense, there was no organized force remaining to challenge Israel. They could settle their land in peace. And guess what? For the most part, Israel did. These defended bastions that were still in existence were few and far between. Most of Israel settled in their homes, settled in their land. Any land that Israel didn't experience, it was because they refused to trust the Lord to take it or because they decided they'd find better land on their own. God kept his promise. The same is true for us. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, it tells us that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Like every one of those promises, like I can't look at a promise where God says, listen, you are my son and you can cry out to me, Abba, Father, where, where it says in Romans 8, where it talks about that, how where we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. None of us can look at that and go, no, that doesn't apply to me. None of us can look at that promise and go, I think that applies to some Christians, but not to me. Every promise of God is yes and amen because of what Jesus did. Yes, it is true for me. That's what it means. Yes and amen means yes, I believe it's true for me. It is true for me. It's yes and it's true. It is yes and it's true for me. Every promise that God makes, there are no exceptions. There are no second-class Christians. There are none of his promises that do not apply to me. You know, so if I look and where the scripture says that he's washed away all my sins and I stand clean before him, I can't say, well, that's for some, but it's not for every Christian. No, that's for you and that's for me if we have placed our trust in Christ because Christ has already done everything that needs to be done to accomplish that work. All the promises of God are yes and amen for us. It's only a question of whether we'll go out and we'll lay hold of it by faith. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul warns the Christians there. He says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Go and do it like Dan, who said, This part of our land is too hard. All the Philistines are there. We're going to go way up here and take this really easy city. You can do that. God will still love you, but you'll miss out on what he had for you. And that won't be because he didn't keep his promise. 
His promise is still yes and amen. It's a matter of whether you're going to lay hold of it. So take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But instead, exhort one another daily while it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Listen, God has said, I have done all this for you. It's all there for you. You can have it, but you need to have your confidence in me and not yourself all the way to the end if you want to experience it. If I can say, well, God, I believe your promise for my salvation. I believe your principles for my salvation, but I just don't believe they apply to my marriage. Okay, so you'll be saved and you'll have a lousy marriage. Is that what you want? God wants better for you and he's promised it to you. He wants us to walk in those things. And thus, Joshua, in the very last verse here, of scriptures that we read, and they can be hard to read through. Like, I don't know where any of these cities are. This doesn't mean anything to me. They have meaning, especially when we come to the end here. Because Joshua makes this declaration. I have it underlined in my Bible. I never want to forget it. I have a little note here. It says, remember this when you're struggling, Will. Because Joshua declares, years later, even though some Israelites did not enter into the promise of God, they didn't enter into the land that God gave them. He says, there failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel all came to pass. Isn't that powerful? The word failed there, it means to fall to the ground. There was not a single thing that fell to the ground. Not ought. The word not ought means not a word. There fell to the ground, not a word. And then of any good thing means of all the word, of all the good word. There did not fall to the ground a single word from all the good word which the Lord has spoken unto the house of Israel. All, the totality. That's what the word all there means. The totality, the everything. In fact, it means the all came to pass. In Hebrew, there's a a the there, a vav, which means the all came to pass. It means the everything, the totality came to pass. God did not drop the ball with Israel in any way, shape, or form concerning his promises to them. Not a single word. I consider myself someone who honors his promises. When I make a commitment, I keep it. I'm very, that's very important to me. But I can't say that even about my faithfulness to my promises. I can't say that there's never any word that I've failed. Sometimes, you know, I was just running behind and, and, and something came up, there's traffic, whatever. And I'm like, oh, I said I'd be there and I wasn't. Sometimes I just, I do fail. God never fails concerning his promises. Not a single word, not a single bit of anything he says. God delivers on his promises like this every time. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, his faithfulness to this word, this promise to Israel, is evidence that he'll be faithful to every word he speaks. How so, you say? Well, here's why. Number one, God was fully capable of performing what he promised to Israel. That's evidenced by the fact that he did it. So despite all their sin, all their stubbornness, their failures, the enemies in front of them, all the logistics of it, God was fully capable of performing what he promised to Israel. And since God doesn't change, he's still fully capable, that means he'll honor his word to us. He can do whatever he tells us to do. Like it's never a situation where he's like, man, I'm sweating this one. I said I'd supply all Will's needs through my riches and glory, but I don't know, I'm gonna pull this off, Gabriel. That never happens in heaven. God is fully capable. He was fully capable here with incredible obstacles. And if he was fully capable there, God doesn't change, which means he's fully capable now. So that's how I know number one. Number two, because when God did this, he did it out of his goodness, not because anyone deserved it. Despite all Israel's stubbornness and sin, he still got the job done. And since God doesn't change, it means he's still good. And so despite our sin and our stubbornness and our failures, he will keep his end of the bargain. The Bible says, if we deny him, he can't deny himself because he is faithful. That's what the scripture's declaration is. And that's what we read about in Hebrews 6 in our scripture reading. So I want to close with this. Now I realize Hebrews 6 is that 
ominous chapter that nobody likes to talk about. And when you read this chapter, Paul's talking to a group of Christians who are thinking about throwing in the towel, giving it up. And he writes to me, he goes, there's no more sacrifice for sins back in Judaism. You can't go back there. In fact, what I want to do is go beyond where you are. I want you to go deeper. I want you to mature as believers. And he says here in verse nine, that beloved, we are persuaded of better things than you. Better things than going back to that thing that doesn't save. Better things than apostasy. We're persuaded of better things than you. Things that accompany salvation, though I speak so seriously to you. For God, he's not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which you showed toward his name, and that you ministered to the saints and you still minister to them. So our desire is this, not that you throw in the towel, but that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. What we read in chapter three, that you wouldn't have an evil heart of unbelief and miss out on what God has for you. Enter into all that God has for you. Be diligent, verse 12, that you be not slothful, but instead followers of them who through faith and endurance inherit the promises. Why? Because when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. God said, I'm gonna make the promise by the highest thing out there. And there's nothing higher than me, so I'm gonna make it by myself. And guess what? He did the impossible with Abraham. I'm gonna give you a seed and no, it ain't gonna be Ishmael. Guess what? God did. I'm gonna make your descendants like the stars in the sky, the sand on the beach. Guess what? God did it. God kept all these things. And because Abraham patiently endured despite failures and shortcomings, it says he obtained the promise. He says, guys, God can't fail with us either. We have a hope as an anchor to the soul that's both sure and steadfast who has already entered into the, within the veil for us. He has already paid the price in full, made the way. So what do we need to do? Enter in. God keeps his promises. We can trust all God says because of who he is and his proven faithfulness to keep his word. Trust him. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.